Welcome to the I Work For Him Power Pod. I'm Michael Miracle, producer for I Work For Him, the voice of the faith and work movement. We are on mission to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. Each quick listening power pod is designed with you in mind and jam-packed with kingdom resources to help you connect your faith and work. How will this impact your workplace? Let's find out right now. So as part of the the outcomes conference, uh, the leadership at the Christian Leadership Alliance has said, Tammy Heim, she said, Jim and Martha, come out here and capture some of the great stories of people who are attending, people who are speaking, people who are leading conversations. And so today we have the privilege of talking with Dr. Teresa Moon. She's got a doctorate in strategic leadership. We've already told her ahead of time she's not allowed to use five-syllable words because the hosts of the show won't understand what those (laughs) words are. But she's got to focus on building multi-generational teams, which is really important because we've got multi-generational teams both inside the Four Walls Church, outside the Four Walls Church, in organizations everywhere. But also, she's got to focus on refreshing organizational culture. And man, are there some cultures out there that could use some refreshing. In fact, I was at a local gap. Okay, I won't go where I was. Okay. But she also writes a blog, and I, I, to be honest with you, Dr. Moon, I wasn't sure. I, I didn't pay attention to what the website was, so we're going to have to get that from you in a second. But we would love, we're going to have a conversation today about developing the next generation of communicators who are equipped to defend their faith and live it out vibrantly in their workplace. Dr. Teresa Moon, welcome to I Work For Him. Hi, thank you for having me. So your website, I want to make sure we're plugging your website throughout the show. What, what's your main website you want to drive people to? ICCINC.org. ICCINC.org. Is it, did I get that right? You got it. ICCINC.org. Yes. So when I work for him, we're talking about the integration of our work and our faith. And um, we talked a little bit off air about this, but um, how was there a point in time in your life where you all of a sudden went, oh, my faith is a part of every day. It's a part of all of my life. It should be a part of my work. Or did it had that always made sense to you? Yes. Well, again, I think it made sense to me at an early age because I watched my father. I watched him move into his own business. I watched him as a man of integrity. I watched him as a leader in the church. I watched him handle challenge and difficulty and trial and listen to people who, uh, who had unhealthy solutions and destructive behavior patterns. And I watched him walk it out with grace and integrity. Okay. So, so you, he was living it out even in his work in Every his own day. business. So your dad yes. grew up running. So you grew up with your dad having his own business. What was that business? So he had a, a business in concrete and rock. So I got my start bagging rock. Very good company. Very good. Literally. You were bagging rock. Literally bagging rock. He said, you're going to learn how to work. But there's nothing wrong with that, was there? Nope. I mean, you really learned to appreciate work then and that paycheck every time you got it. As a matter of fact, as a teen, uh, as teens can be, as a teen, one day I asked my dad for a raise. How'd that go? He said, if you can't do the job, I'll hire someone who will. So uh, he definitely was committed to teaching us to be um, to be hard workers, to mm-hmm. be people who had a good work ethic, to be people who uh, followed through on a task, took responsibility, took it seriously, and worked with excellence. And for him, that was distinctly tied to his faith. He was a man of his word, but he also wanted an excellent work product. So the first year that I attended uh, this conference, I was in the CEO forum and on a break, uh, I, uh, I had been experiencing a, a challenge in my, in my family life with my husband's health. And that was really uh, a, a dark time for me. 
And uh, so on the break in the CEO forum, a Christian leader in the Alliance turned, turned around, stood up, looked at me and said, you're the battle buddy God is providing for me, which was a very bold thing for her to say and a vulnerable moment for both of us. But as I looked at her, I just knew this is God's provision. And from that time forward, we have met weekly for prayer to talk about what God's doing in our ministries, on our teams, in our families, in our lives to uh, bolster one another, to hold one another up. And from then on, it has just continued to be a wonderful journey for me. You wrote about that time of your life in a recent blog, I'm Not Stressed. Your husband was sick. Your mother-in-law, I believe, had died. You were getting your doctorate. Do I have that right? There, there, was, some, there was some significant issues going all at one time, and you're mm-hmm. trying to get a doctorate, and you got two teenage boys at the same time. The, the, that's some stress. And yet, as a woman, you're trying to figure out how to be perfect at all of those things at one time, weren't you? Mm-hmm. I was. Yes. Yes. I, um, I, I somehow thought that I could do more than the body is made to do. And I think that is that I'm not alone there. Mm-hmm. No, you I are think not. A, a lot of women, a lot of people think that. But a lot, of, a lot more women think that. I think as women, we think we're supposed to somehow fix it for lots of people at one time, which, uh, which certainly coming back to the integration of faith and work is, is a really skewed interpretation of how God set it up to work. How did that work for you, trying to handle all that at once, thinking you could handle it all? Well, you, you read the blog. I did. I landed in the hospital, so I wasn't doing it very well. And, uh, and when the doctor said to me, uh, you know, there must be a lot going on for you because you're pretty sick. Uh, are you stressed? And I remember looking at him <laughs> saying, I don't think so. And that's just how uh, distorted my reality Deluded had is become. another word we use diluted. for that. Diluted. <laughs> diluted. It was diluted. So I wasn't doing it very well. And I, I definitely needed some better practices in place. Teresa, we were just talking about the, your blog. And I just wanted to wrap that up a little bit because I think for a lot of people, it's like, okay, so you were, you found out that you were stressed, somewhat delusional, maybe about how much you were caring. How did that, what did you do with that as you were laying there in the hospital and realizing that you had taxed yourself so much? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, sadly, Martha, it's a great question, mm-hmm. uh, especially given what I'm doing here at CLA this week, where I'm talking with women about rest. I thought that I could get well and just work harder. That's really what I thought at that, in that season of my life. And God wasn't finished teaching me that mm-hmm. he has a much bigger, better plan for how we seek him and how we rest in him and how we rely on his promises and how God really is the only restorer of the soul. Mm. And instead of my working harder to line out my life and line out everybody else and get it all to work just right, what he wanted was for me to stop and spend time with him as he imparted to me what it was that my priorities ought to be. What do you see? How does your job as the founder and the CEO of the Institute for Cultural Communicators, how does that give you a unique vantage point into the brokenness of the world we live in today? Yes. Oh, yes. So uh, to begin with, I work with people and people are broken and even people in the church, certainly people in our communities and certainly people in the world. So our vision is an expanding global community, empowering next generation Christians to influence today's culture. Mm 
which means we get opportunities to help young people learn to communicate ideas winsomely in a way that influences culture for Christ. So in our organization, what we've done is we've established a, a distinctly mentoring culture. So our young people serve on, and, our, and I mean, our, our people serve on multi-generational teams frequently in real time. So it's interesting because I speak about this topic a lot. And I was here a couple of years ago and I spoke about this topic of intergenerational teams. And I got a phone call when I got home from someone who uh, runs a nonprofit in Alabama. And she said, our board would like you to come and help us fix this intergenerational thing. (laughs) Well, as we continued talking, what the board wanted me to do was come fix the millennials. That's what they wanted. They wanted the millennials to straighten up. That is often the case right now. Yeah, they wanted the millennials to straighten up. So what we found is it's it's a systemic issue. It requires a systemic solution. And so we want everybody to come to the table. We want everybody to have a give and take. We want everybody to learn. So one of the um, one of the papers I published, you mentioned um, a doctorate and some writing. One of the papers I published is a mentoring model. So in our organization, we've established a distinctly mentoring culture intentionally, and we look for three kinds of mentoring relationships. Wise guides, the people who've gone before us, Mm. know a little more, are much more experienced that we can learn from, and we teach youth to look for wise guides. We teach adults they are wise guides. We look for side guides. That's the peer mentor. Everyone has a peer mentor, and everyone is a peer mentor. And we look for those relationships, and we look for healthy relationships. And then we look for the surprise guide. That's the one that Jack Welch popularized as the reverse mentor in uh, General Electric. Mm -hmm. And so the reverse mentor, the surprise guide, that's the one who's younger. My interns are here with me today. And they speak into our lives about things that we're still becoming familiar with. In my case, technology would be one of those. Mm -hmm. But that also opens a communication, two-way communication channel, and I get the opportunity to speak into their lives in turn. So three mentoring relationships, wise guides, side guides, surprise guides, and we've found that when those are part of a culture, then we have a culture where everybody knows I have something to learn and I have value to bring. And that whole idea of mentoring, I mean, there have been many books written by millennials going, hey, this is what we want from the generation, the next generation. We want to be mentored, but we don't want a weekly Mm -hmm. Bible study. We want somebody that we can run alongside. We want somebody Mm -hmm. that can live life alongside. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're screaming for it. Mm -hmm. And as a a whole body of Christ outside of the four walls of the church and inside the four walls of the church, we're falling on our faces on this thing. We are, Jim, because... Uh, I'll just speak for myself, but I'm part of the boomer generation, and we're a little too busy for that life-on-life thing. We want to throw some good ideas at you, and I hope you're going to do it. And that isn't that isn't what mentoring is. That isn't how Christ modeled it. That isn't what the early church did. That isn't that isn't what anything we know that works looks like. So we need to uh, figure out how we can reduce some of the clutter and some of the sideways energy and come back to living life with real people and loving them where they are. Our heartbeat of the organization is that we are empowering next generation Christians to influence today's culture. And that's key for us because it's not someday. We spend a lot of time investing in generations coming behind us, things that will be good for you someday. You'll thank me for this someday, right? Mm. This will help you someday. And we want them to know what it feels like to be influencers today. We know we want them to experience uh, talking about issues that matter in ways that 
draw people to them. You know, Jesus, Jesus liked people who wasn't like him. People who weren't like him liked him. It's very possible for us to influence our communities and our cultures in very winsome ways where mm. people will want to know us more and will want to know more about what makes us work. So what are you doing to help them do it today? Like, I mean, how, what does that look like? Because I, I see where you're, what you're saying is like, we're always talking about preparing and, you know, getting ready. And, but what is it that they're, how are you helping them do it today? What kinds of things? Right. So one small piece is we put youth on between 10 and 15,000 platforms a year in their communities. So this is out in, this isn't inside our organization. Mm -hmm. This is out in the city, in community organizations, in libraries and schools and coffee shops and in churches, but out, out in the community, veterans homes, um, you know, moving beyond. And of course we're in an, an international organization. So in other countries, they, they're out in their own communities as well. So, we're helping youth recognize that uh, you have a message to share and it matters, mm -hmm. but there are lots of things. There are lots of things you're going to talk about in your life. In the workplace, we don't only talk about our faith, but our faith colors everything we talk about. Mm. And so how can you talk about these issues in a way that distinctly sets you apart, that draws people to you so they want to know more? <laughs> Let's just talk about some. Take a kid, and one kid, for example, that you've that somebody that they said, please invest in me so that I can invest, I can make an impact on my community. Talk to us about. Just give us one case study. You don't give us a name, but just give us a case study. Somebody that you've been working with that now is making an impact. Where they go? Sure. So one of my very first interns. So this is twenty-two years for us. But someone that comes to mind right away when you talk about this is one of my very first interns who was incredibly shy. She was a teenager. Uh, most most students come to us in school age, mm -hmm. the school age years. Her uh, her parents brought her to me, and she was so not interested, right? And uh, we didn't have all the cool kids to kind of draw her that we do today either. So we have a lot of cool teenagers today that make it fun for kids. You, you got know, a couple of them in the studio audience today. We sure do. Some very cool kids. So, uh, but her name is Janae. She was very, 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 very shy. We worked and 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 uh, came to the place where Janae became quite uh, a poised young platform communicator with a real empathy for people. Uh, when she was a junior in high school, Janae interned with me like these gals are. And we were teaching a group of uh, Christian school teachers. So we were helping them to think about how can you integrate communication education into your curriculum so that young people don't just gain the ideas, but they know how to talk about what they've learned. So in the course of her uh, communicating, it was a large room. I want to say there were 125 teachers in the room, and this is one little junior in high school girl, right? She's standing at her lectern, and she uses an example, and in the use of the metaphor, she says the, the frozen dessert sherbet, only she pronounces it sherbert. And a communications coach, adult teacher, stands up in the middle of the audience and says, you should not say that. You need to pronounce your words correctly if you're going to be a good communicator. My little high school sweet Janae, who had been so shy and run away from people in the past, stood there at the lectern, 
let the woman have her rant. And it was a rant. I mean, she went on, I know it's spelled S-H-E-R-B-E-T. I've had arguments with my husband in the frozen food section about this. And I thought, yeah, I bet you have. I mean, I wanted her to leave. Mm -hmm. And my little Janae picked up her pen, wrote a note, put it down, stood and looked at the audience and said, I want to thank you for correcting me. Because when we are communicating for Christ, it matters how we communicate. And she went on with her talk. And I have never forgotten that moment because I thought that is the kind of transformation we're looking for. She didn't go from shy to in your face. And there's a place for that. There's absolutely a place for that, to your point, Jim. But she went from shy to winsome. Mm. And I promise you, those teachers, they were lined up to find out more about her training, about uh, what what she was going to do with her life. She's now a pastor's wife. They've adopted children from other countries. She's doing wonderful, wonderful work. But this was part of the foundation of her being able to communicate her faith um, with people in places and with people who uh, would oppose her. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers, our workplace. It's our mission field, but ultimately, I, I work for him. him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him Power Pod with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Want more? Hear the full broadcast at IWorkForHim.com. Stay connected and receive power pack content when you sign up for our blog at IWorkForHim.com or follow us on social media at IWorkForHim. And finally, if today's message inspired you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review helps launch more workplace missionaries across the nation. That's at I Work For Him and online, IWorkForHim.com.